you're going to not be motivated sometimes. But the space that I work in, it's all about hype, motivation, self-hate, food is fuel, as if that's all food is. What is your observation of the modern dating scene? It looks crazy. Guys are told to buy fast cars, have sex with lots of women, and oh God, if you have kids and you're married, you know, that's gonna suck. Oh yeah. <laughs> right around the age of 30, my, my health took a, a turn for the worse. And I had to really examine what I was doing to myself. Now, you know, I, I would lie to myself um, and say, oh, this is for my health. And, you know, I'm quite disciplined, but I was trading, you know, I was, I was actually trading my health for an obsession. Welcome back to the I Wish You Knew podcast. It is good to see you, Sarah. Good to see you, Adam. Today, we are joined by a good friend of mine, Sal. I've been waiting to have this conversation. You're an inspiration to me and my family and my, and my life. I know that there's so much we want to unpack about you here today on this show. And could you please tell us about you and tell the audience a couple things that you, they should know about you? Yeah, no problem. Um, well, I've been in the, in the health and fitness space now for... God, let's see, how old am I? <laughs> 30 yeah. years. I've been doing this for a long time. Well, not professionally. I've, uh, as I started as a young kid. Professionally, I've been doing it for uh, over two and a half decades. Um, I started out as a trainer, managed gyms. I owned my own um, wellness studio. And now for the last eight or nine years, I've been one of the hosts and uh, founders of the Mind Pump media company. We have a podcast. Uh, we also have YouTube channels and and. Really, the goal has been to communicate health and fitness in an effective way with integrity, which uh, as, as trainers, my, my co-hosts were also trainers and gym managers, um, we, we were really distraught with just the state of the industry. It was just so filled with lots of lies and, and, and bad information. Um, and so we're like, we got to do something that uh, counters some of that because half of our job as trainers was constantly countering some of the bad stuff that our clients would read or hear. And so um, we said, let's do something about that. So we started the podcast about nine month, nine years ago, and um, that's that's what I do now. That is wonderful. One thing that I have always that I've loved about you and your work, and one thing that inspires me is you encourage people. I'm going to say men here, especially you encourage men not just to have the good physical external strength, but you seem to incorporate a lot of internal strength into those men as well, encouraging them with their mental health, their relational health. Every part of them needs to be strong. That's something I learned when I was on your podcast a few months ago is I have focused on my mental strength and my emotional strength. I need to fix up my body. And a lot of men are that way or a lot of men are the other way. They've done all body work, but no mind work. I love your your three-prong approach there. Is that something that uh, you stumbled into during the course of your life? Is that something that's been intentional? Well, it's it's a bit of an illusion that you can effectively work on one without the other. I think, um, in in you know, just taking a step back, I, I I you know I have a deep passion for for helping people uh, through health and fitness. So that's you know health and fitness is like a my favorite hobby, but I really love people. And uh, after I'd say five years of doing it, I, you know, I had some honest conversations with myself. Was I really effective? Was I really helping people in the truest sense, in the sense where um, they would accomplish, you know, achievements with their health and fitness, but they were able to maintain them for the rest of their lives? And the answer was no, I actually was failing. So uh, that led me down a, a journey of really trying to figure out well, how could I get non-fitness fanatics, right? The average person, how can I get them to 
do this and figure it out for themselves in a way where it sticks. Uh, because, you know, and I'm going to speak big here now. A lot of our problems in modern societies um, are the result of poor health. Um, and, and when I say poor health, I mean that in the, the complete sphere. And again, they all communicate to each other, right? So poor physical health can make mental health a lot worse and, and vice versa. And um, yeah, that was just the journey. And so a lot of the conversations used to be or, or originally were around um, the, the how, right? The ones and zeros. Here's the exercises. Here's the food um, that you need to eat. Here's what you need to avoid. And that's all important. Uh, but I, I did find that my conversations started moving towards more of the root. Why is this so challenging? Why do we reach for the things that we reach for and eat the things that we eat? Why, why don't we take care of ourselves like we are people that we care about? Um, and um, it, it was a long process. Uh, there were clients that I worked with who also worked with therapists. And so I learned a lot by working with my client's therapist. So I would, you know, uh, message the therapist or email them and say, hey, you know, I'm training so-and-so. Um, maybe we should talk so we can be effective together, or is there anything I should avoid um, doing or talking about? Um, and this started originally with clients that had uh, that would come out of eating disorders, and I wanted to make sure I I didn't do things the wrong way. And I just learned a lot about how to communicate um, certain things. And then I had my own personal kind of health crisis um, right around the age of thirty. Uh, my my health took a, a turn for the worse, and I had to really examine what I was doing to myself. Um, and I had some honest uh, conversations. I was a much better trainer for other people than I was for myself. My original motivations for working out were based on uh, insecurities, um, body image issues, and um, I had ignored a lot of the poor health signs that, uh, I mean, if I look back, there were quite a few of them, um, and eventually I got to the point where I couldn't ignore them anymore. So um, that led me towards a totally different uh, path. Um, and at the end of that, I realized that the you know, the aesthetic goals, I guess, that I was after were really the side effect of good health. Um, and what I had done up until that point was sacrifice my health in pursuit of a particular look. Um, and the result of which being I got none of them. I got not, none of the health and the, uh, at that point, my health had gone down, you know, south and I had lost the, the look that I was looking for. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot really to unpack there, but um, it took a long time. We talk about this on the show all the time. You know, I did a lot of things wrong with clients for years and years and years, uh, but really uh, the whole time really wanting to figure this out. You know, I think I figured a few things out. I think there's still a lot of things to learn. But the big thing I think is just, uh, you know, we really don't treat ourselves like people we care about. And I think if you go into the pursuit of health and fitness through that standpoint, and that's, uh, I mean, that's complicated by itself. But if you go in through that standpoint, then balance is baked in to the formula and uh, we tend to find what works best for us in that way. And then we can do it in a, in, in a, in a way that's consistent that lasts forever. So Sal, um, as the female here, right, we, you can see in our sign, we have like the yin and the yang and the male and the female. And one of the things that some of my clients really struggle with is they come to me and they ask, you know, Sarah, I take care of my fitness. I work out, you know, there's, they're really good looking guys and they're buff and they've, they've done the work on their body and they think that women don't like that. They, they haven't done the mental work and they don't understand that there's a whole other side of being a, a truly integrated man in order to attract, mm. you know, a, a, a beautiful woman. What they think is that a woman will just kind of 
be drawn to them because of their physical fitness and because of what they look like. So do you coach as far as with a man goes, like, what do you coach if these guys are single and these guys are looking, you're obviously married or you have been married for a little while. What are some things that you would suggest to them, you know, if they're in physical fitness and if they're good and if they can't attract or keep a woman, what do you think that they can do to work on connecting (laughs) with a woman besides just leading with, you know, their physical fitness or posting (laughs) gym selfies. I can't tell you how many bathroom (laughs) selfies and gym selfies that I've gotten myself. So what are some things that they could work on as far from an emotional standpoint? Yeah. So we're, we're, you know, we're going to go out, you know, way outside my wheelhouse, but um, I, I think I can comment on some of this in the sense that the reason why we're attracted to fit and healthy people, by the way, I want to, I want to clarify here. Um, when you see someone in person, it's very different than when you see them on social media or, you know, back when I was a trainer in magazines, um, real health uh, is quite attractive in person. You can fake it oftentimes in social media. I mean, I've met fitness influencers. By the way, the health and fitness space, especially in social media, is riddled with um, eating disorders and body image issues or body obsession. When you meet people in person, the poor health becomes a little bit more obvious. Uh, So they may have the six pack or, 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 you know, be ripped, um, but it's not as attractive as a a truly healthy person. But the reason why we find um, that attractive in the first place is because of what it represents. And what does it represent? Well, it represents vitality, fertility. It can represent discipline and confidence. I think looking at someone who's fit, you can think to yourself, oh, that person's consistent. They seem to um, have some discipline in a particular area, although it can also communicate maybe obsession. Um, but, uh, I, I think that's why people tend to find it attractive. The truth is the extremes are really only valued by people who are maybe, uh, fanatics in the space. You know, if you were to take a man who's, you know, relatively fit and lean and confident, um, and has got some charisma and presents himself well, he's gonna be far more attractive than somebody who's super shredded, who doesn't have those other, um, characteristics. Really, it's the pursuit of fitness that I think results in improving your attractiveness to the other person. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, when you pursue health and fitness, um, you can go about it the wrong way, but if you pursue it long enough, you start to figure things out, okay? You figure out that, um, that there's going to be a struggle, that you're going to fail, um, and that you got to keep applying yourself. You figure out discipline. Body acceptance, believe it or not, if you do this long enough, body acceptance becomes a part of it. So if you do it for a few years, you might not learn that. But if you do this long enough at some point, either you get older or you realize you're not going to look like your favorite athlete or model, but you continue anyway, right? Because you accept the fact that, you know, I don't. I remember when I figured this out as a teenager, no matter what I did, I, you know, at one point I figured out I'm not going to look like Arnold, right? He was my hero. I'm not going to look like Arnold no matter what I do, but I continue doing it anyway, so... That gave me some body acceptance, which comes across as, I guess, confidence. But yeah, just the physical aspect of it, you know, you have poor health, which is not attractive. um, And then you have health, which is attractive. And health is, there's a spectrum there, okay? So like, I I mean, I could speak to the data here. A healthy body fat percentage in men ranges anywhere between 10 to, let's say, maybe 17% body fat. That's a pretty big range. Like if you saw a 200-pound man at at 10% body fat, he would look very different than a 200-pound man at 17%. 
But if they were both, uh, if they both ate healthy and they were both active, in terms of health, uh, they would be pretty close. With women, it's more like uh, 18 to let's say 27% uh, body fat. They have a bit of a wider, um, a wider range. So that's that's in terms of you know the looks aspect of it. But you know my my friend Arthur Brooks, he's an expert on happiness. He doesn't talk about what makes someone attractive, but he does talk about happiness. And he loves to give this example. He says, you know, if somebody were a five on the scale of one to 10 in terms of attractiveness, and they spent all their time and money getting themselves up to, let's say, an eight or a nine, they would uh, achieve almost no improvements in real happiness. So just to show you how insignificant it is um, in that regard. Uh, So I think it's more like, are you healthy? then uh, people are going to be attracted to you. Um, and, and again, health is a, a massive sphere. I mean, you guys know this better than I do. Mental health is also very attractive, the opposite of which is being poor mental health, which can be quite, big, you know, quite a big turnoff. So it's really about health. I think uh, sometimes men look at you know, uh, how, I don't know, muscular they can look or how ripped they can get, and they place too much value on it as if that's going to get them all the uh, valuable relationships that they're looking for. They might get attention, but you know that's not enough. Um, and also, I mean, this is my own opinion. I'd love your guys' input on this, but if you devote all your time and energy to looking a particular way uh, and you don't dev- devote any time to developing other aspects of yourself, there's a certain kind of person you might attract, but I don't know if that's the kind of person that people would want to, you know, want to necessarily have a relationship with. So, you might get attention, but I don't know if it's the right kind of people, if that makes sense. I was just getting ready to ask you that, Sal, because you mentioned uh, around 30, you had your own health crisis. Sounds like you had to get really authentic, really healthy. I know now you've, you're married, you've got kids, you're a good father there. What changed for you in a relationship space or in, a, in, in your connection with love and authenticity when you hit 30 around there and you said, I'm going to be real instead of fake healthy? I'm going to be real healthy. Did that? How did that translate over into your relationship with women and love? Give the guys at home something to hold on to. That was really tough. That was a tough time. You know, um, I, you know, I, I had already been in the fitness space uh, professionally for a while. At the po- at that time, I owned a wellness studio uh, and I had you know a nice client base and I had trainers working for me, and uh, I represented right. I represented fitness and health. And here I was, uh, my health declining, and none of my, none of my tricks could solve uh, the problem. Couldn't figure out what was going on. I actually had to reach out to um, a few of my coworkers who were well more, much more well versed in wellness, I would say. And I said to them, uh, I, you know, I can't figure this out. I don't know what's going on. I, at this point, I had lost like 14 pounds on the scale. I thought I had Crohn's disease at one point. And um, I, I basically gave up and I changed everything. In fact, uh, I had to avoid looking in the mirror because that would that was that would have triggered me. Um, I changed my workouts, didn't weigh myself uh, on the scales, tried to not pay attention to the weight I was lifting. This is just for me personally. Um, and so that was a bit of a journey. Uh, now, how did that affect um, my relationships? Well, gosh, you know, um, I think my obsession over my appearance morphed and changed. I didn't. I didn't realize at the time uh, what a negative impact that had on uh, the relationships uh, around me. You know, I would miss 
events or at the very least miss out on the on being present in certain uh let's say events or functions like a birthday party for example because uh i was worried about what i was eating um or the fact that i might miss a workout um now you know i i would lie to myself um and say oh this is for my health and you know i'm quite disciplined but i was trading you know, I was I was actually trading my health for an obsession, um, and so people in people in the health and fitness space understand this, but uh, people who who don't fanaticize, you know, aren't fanatics about this, this might not make sense. But you can um, you can definitely obsess over health and fitness and make yourself less healthy. You know, there was a study that came out of I think it was Stanford, where they showed that having poor relationships was as bad for you as smoking I think fifteen cigarettes a day. So I, my relationships were worse because I had placed, I guess, my appearance above lots of other things. Um, so relationship with my kids uh, and, you know, the people around me uh, suffered because of it. So I would avoid, like I said, I would avoid things or I wouldn't be present entirely. You know, there's a, there's a lot of value in balance, you know. Um, now, most people's balances in the opposite direction where they maybe eat unhealthy in a way that's unhealthy all the time or they're not active but mine was too extreme in the other direction and so i wasn't really able to be fully present with the people around me you know when people tell you that you're obsessed and you're doing too much it's easy at least it was for me it was easy to um to discredit them because you know the reality is if you exercise relatively regularly and eat in a healthy way you are going to be a bit weird uh in comparison to the average person. So it was easy for me to say, well, yeah, of course you say that because the average person doesn't value these things. But um, I sacrificed things that were far more important for for that. So um, I guess, uh, I, you know, there was always that shell, I guess that that armor that I had around me. And, and by the way, this isn't like, it's not like I fixed it. You know, I just got better at it, but this still can be an issue for me that, you know, that this is what I am armor and who I am and not letting people uh, all the way in and your relationship only goes as deep as deep as you allow people to get to know you, I guess. So, um, so yeah, things, things improved. My relationships improved through going through that journey, but I would be lying if I didn't say that it was, it was hard. It was definitely very hard. I was forced, you know, if my health hadn't gone South in that way, um, it might've taken me a lot longer to kind of figure these things out. What I find a lot of the times, um, and this is just kind of the bias that I see with women and men and men who kind of lead with physical appearance and lead with fitness is that they don't have true self-esteem. So they're always kind of still searching for this validation from a woman to tell them that they're okay or that they're accepted or, you know, they, they kind of lead with this energy that they might look beautiful, right? They have this beautiful appearance, but then when you start to spend time with them or when you start to, you know, yeah, just you're dating them or some of my clients, right? They'll lose the attention and they'll wonder why, because they're leading with, they just have terrible self-esteem and they haven't done any of the inner work to truly believe that they are who they, their outsides match the insides. You know, they, they might have been bigger, you know, they might have had a phase where they kind of, you know, didn't love themselves all too much. And then they got, they got in really, really good shape and they did all the outside work, but then there's still so much insecurity that happens on the inside. So I wonder, 
you said that you would talk to people's therapists, you know, you said that you you would have kind of these transcendent conversations with these people. So I wonder what kind of information did the therapists give you or the counselors give you that would help you kind of work on people's inner so that the inner image and like the reason and the values, what they were doing at the gym would translate to, to the outside appearance as well. I remember the first time I talked to um, somebody's therapist, uh, one of my clients had hired me to train uh, their daughter who had uh, just recovered from, you know, kind of a bad bout of anorexia. Okay. So they had previous eating disorder. Then they wanted to hire me uh, to train their daughter. And at this point, I'd only been a trainer for, I don't know, maybe a few years. And I, and you know, in those days, it's like you test people's body fat percentage, you weigh them and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that doesn't feel right for somebody who's recovering from anorexia. So I asked the parent, I said, can I call or can I talk to her therapist just to get some insight on, you know, what might be triggering and, and how I should approach this. And so the therapist said, don't bring up weight, don't bring up appearance, uh, don't bring any of those things up, uh, but it's good that she exercise and she become more healthy. And so I thought, well, um, I'll focus on performance then. Uh, if I if I focus on strength, then uh, it'll be hard for her to undereat and get stronger. So we just focused on strength, and it was it, it it was really awesome because I got her to focus on something. By the way, that's not the that's not ultimately where you want to end up because you could go uh, bad in that direction too. But it moved her away from her challenge, which was the mirror, to something that was much more objective. Uh, which was strength. So we went there first. Then the conversations were really around, and this I think applies to most people. So I'll speak broadly now. Most people, they start a fitness journey, not from a place of self-care, but it's usually from a place of self-hate. Okay. So it's like, you know, I saw myself in the mirror or I saw a picture of myself. I don't like the way I look. I'm inadequate. I'm unattractive, you know, whatever I'm fat, whatever. Uh, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to change that because I don't like myself. Okay. Well, when you approach exercise in that way, um, exercise is a punishment. Okay. This is why you get people who work out and they beat themselves up and they get super sore or they feel like throwing up and it's cathartic at first, right? It's because of punishment. So they go to the gym and they, you know, they leave and they're crawling out and you're like, oh my God, how was your first workout? Like, oh my God, I barely, I can barely move. It was so awesome. You think to yourself, how's that even possible that it was so awesome? That sounds terrible, but it's cathartic because it was from a place of, uh, of self-hate. Same thing, uh, with diet, diet becomes restrictive. It's not a self-care. Uh, you're not coming from a, a standpoint of self-care, but rather self-hate. So it's not, I don't want that cookie. It's more like, um, I can't have that cookie. So if you really want to do this in a way that is sustainable, in a way where it doesn't become a stress, but rather alleviate stress, in a way to where, I mean, think about it this way. If you want to eat healthy and you want to exercise on a rel- relatively consistent basis, then consistency will never be an issue. It's something that you're going to want to do and you're going to want to value it has to come from a point of self-care. So rather than looking in the mirror and saying, um, I hate myself, I don't look good, and you can be honest. By the way, honesty is very important. Um, care and love is, comes from a, a place of honesty. You can look in the mirror and say, I haven't taken care of myself uh, very well. I haven't 
treated myself like somebody I care about. And I think it's time that I start doing that. For parents uh, of children, I like to, to tell them to imagine that, that this is their kid, right? Uh, for me, at least that's easy. Whenever I do this to myself, I think of my kids because I'll do anything for them. Um, and so I say, okay, would I encourage my kids to do this? And then usually I get the right answer. It's either yes or no, right? Um, just like if your kid wants to have a cookie every day, yeah, you're going to say yes sometimes, but most of the time you'll say no, right? You'll notice that balance is baked into it in that way. Well, if I go to the gym because I'm caring for myself, my intensity will be appropriate. I'm not going in there to kill myself, right? I'm going in there to, to care for myself. I'm probably going to train in a way that is more appropriate. I'm also probably going to take time off when it's appropriate. Man, I got terrible sleep last night. I feel like crap. Maybe I shouldn't work out today because I'm caring for myself. You know, you're not going to do the whole thing where you're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to the gym today to beat myself up because yesterday I ate this huge burrito. You might say to yourself, man, I ate that huge burrito yesterday. I was really stressed out. Uh, I think I need some self-care. I'm going to go on a walk or I'm going to go do this meditative group exercise class. Okay. Diet is not restrictive. It's, it's nourishing. It's the difference between saying I can't eat that and I don't want to eat that. Now, people hear me say that, and sometimes they get confused because they say, you know, well, what do you mean you don't want that slice of pizza? Of course you want that slice of pizza. <laughs> you know, um, you want to be very honest. Yes, you can acknowledge that the palatability of that pizza is better than, let's say, I don't know, a bowl of, uh, of chicken and rice. And that's totally fine. But that's only one of its values. Uh, are you caring for yourself by eating that pizza? Well, if you haven't been with your friends in a long time, you want to hang out with your buddies, and you want to bond over some pizza, then yeah, it might be self-care. But usually not. Usually it's not. And, and, and again, it becomes a, I don't want that versus I want that. Over time, by the way, if you do it this way, over time, what ends up happening is you start to develop cravings uh, for foods that serve you. And the cravings aren't always based off of hyper palatability. You just find that my digestion's off. And I know when I eat this, I feel so much better. Oh man, I got low energy. I think I want to eat in this way because that's going to make me feel a lot better. Or like I said, it's my daughter's birthday. I think I'm going to have a piece of cake. So it has to come from that place uh, because if it doesn't, then it's always going to be a tyrannical thing that you do to yourself. I, you know, I, I, I've told this story so many times on the podcast. I love sharing it because it was so pivotal for me. I was at a dinner once with um, my ex-wife. We were at a, one of her, her company dinners. So it was a tech company that she worked for. And we were at this, I was at this big table with a lot of her coworkers and, and spouses and all the spouses were introducing themselves, right? So it comes around to me and I introduce myself and, you know, I'm a trainer and all that stuff. And of course, uh, you know, when I say that people become really self-aware of what they're eating and what they're drinking. So, you know, it becomes one of those like, oh, I'm only having one piece of bread or, oh, I noticed you didn't eat that type of deal. But once they got comfortable with me, we all started hanging out. And this woman across from me, this was after a few drinks, she looks at me and she says, you know, I had a friend who was very consistent with exercise and diet, and then she got uh, cancer and she died. And after that happened, I just said to myself, to hell with it. I'm just going to enjoy life. And that really struck me because, you know, I know this. This is, this is uh, factually true. There's almost nothing that will improve every single facet of your life, like simply improving your health. Like name something in your life. It will improve with better health. 
So being a father, being a partner, you know, being more innovative or productive, your sleep, your sex, your whatever. If your health improves, everything improves. And I thought, what a strange thing to say uh, that I, I, I'm not going to do those things that can improve everything because I want to enjoy my life. That's really weird. People exercise because they're punishing themselves and they try to eat right because they're restricting themselves. And that feels like that feels like crap. That feels like hell. You literally are, it's almost like you're dividing yourself into two people, the tyrannical uh, adult and the child that needs somebody to hover over them and discipline them constantly. Of course, when people go off their diet, it doesn't look like they're just going off their diet. It looks like a rebellion. Like nobody goes off their diet and just has one cookie. Everybody goes off their diet and eats a box of cookies and then until they're uncomfortable. Like where did that come from? Well, that was because they were tyrannizing themselves for so long, a month, two months, three months, or whatever, that when they finally broke free, it's it's you rebel. You go in the opposite direction as far as you possibly can until you hate yourself. So uh, this is the root of um, the challenge. This is really the root. By the way, my industry play is, has played a big role in this. Uh, one of the reasons why we started the podcast is because we have the answers, okay, but we sell them all wrong. And the people that get all the attention in my industry are the worst people to get the kind of attention to get the attention. So what do we what do we do in my in my industry? We capture people when they hate themselves. Look at the advertisements. Look at how we we advertise supplements and workout programs and gym memberships. We're waiting for people to get into that state of mind where they hate themselves. They get that temporary motivation because self hate is a very powerful short term motivator. We capture you, get your money, and then spit you out. You know, where, where's my evidence of that? Well, uh, look at the gym industry. The reason why I started in uh, the big box gym industry, here's why I left. One of the reasons why I left. I was in a meeting, and at this point, I was a general manager. I was grand opening these big clubs. I was young. I was a young manager, and I was figuring out how these companies really make money and what the business model looks like. And I remember they had these uh, they had these graphs up, and they were showing us the members that we make the most money off of and the members that we lose money off off of. Do you know which members gyms lose money from? The heavy users, the people that pay their monthly membership and show up consistently four or five days a week, every week, week in and week out. That costs gyms money. Do you know? Who are the most profitable? The people that pay their gym membership and don't show up. And when I saw that, it all made sense to me. And I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore with, with, with good conscience. This doesn't feel right. It's like I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, promoting the wrong thing. I'm not really helping anybody. Uh, this is why gyms charge 10, 15 bucks a month. You know, if everybody showed up, they'd have to shut their doors down. They wouldn't have enough space. But they, what they do is they charge just enough so that you never quit, but they don't want you to show up. That's the secret. That's the dirty secret of the of the gym industry. Um, and again, it's all it's all from that from that place. You know, I mentioned motivation. I want to say this real quick because it's really important. We're so obsessed with fitness and motivation, um, and it's terrible because motivation is a fleeting feeling. It is not something to uh, to depend on. You can't possibly depend on motivation. 
It would be like trying to be, uh, it would be like trying to never be sad. Like imagine how much you'd have to self-medicate to never be sad, right? So here we are. How do I get motivated? I need to be inspired. I need to be motivated. Like you're going to not be motivated sometimes. That's what we need to figure out how we can keep you consistent. I don't need to motivate. I don't need to keep you consistent when you're motivated. That's easy. It's when you're not. But the space that I work in, it's all about hype, motivation, self-hate. You're inadequate. You're not attractive enough. You're not good-looking enough. It's beast mode. It's kill yourself. It's I can barely crawl out of the gym. That's what it's all about. It's about food is fuel, as if that's all food is. Um, and it's, it's just terrible messaging. It makes me sad because we have the answers to solve all the chronic health issues that we're, that we're suffering from. We have the answers, but we're not providing them the right way. Um, and, uh, you know, what you guys talk about is, is within the same sphere, whether you, whether you guys realize it or not, but we all work in the same space. You guys are dealing with mental health and relationship health. I'm dealing with physical health, but they are two sides of the same coin. They, they go hand in hand for sure. This is something that I, I recently read your book, the, uh, resistance training Re revolution. And in there, you, you mentioned some of this, you talk in there about, doing things because they feel good, doing things to reward yourself or, or even just to care about yourself. And I remember reading that and thinking, wow, what a different concept. So I started thinking what foods uh, long-term would make me feel better instead of what short, what foods short-term would make me feel better. And the change was I bought a steamer and I started eating a lot more steamed broccoli and a lot more steamed onions and mixing that in and it makes you feel so much better. And it's so true that when you start doing those things, take care of yourself long term, it becomes a habit you want to keep doing because it feels good. It starts to feel good to eat broccoli of all things, which if you had told me when I was five years old, I never would have believed. Isn't that weird? By the way, the food industry knows this. Um, they know that they can change your experience with the food uh, by not just by its flavor, but its associations. Like you'll never like beer commercials, right? What do they show? Like the girls on the beach and the dudes having a great time and whatever. You know, they would never advertise ice cream and somebody having a stomach ache or, you know, being on the toilet because they know they would lose sales. So you, this happens, to, this happens your, with yourself if you start to make those, those positive associations. The problem is, and I'm going to use, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can create an analogy for your audience. When you look at relationships with a significant other, there's a lot of things that make up a good healthy relationship okay one of them is sexual attraction okay what what does media make the most high or most important value and thus let's let's ignore everything else right it's just about sexual novelty and attraction so if you go about living your life valuing just that or only understanding that that's the value or that's what you're supposed to value you're gonna have a lot of troubles with your relationships okay when we look at food, we have learned to value palatability, and that's it. We really haven't developed a full spectrum of understanding of all the values of food, really because of lack of awareness, to the point where, just to hammer this home, you know, when I would get new clients and I would ask them questions about their, their health and stuff like that, it would be, of no, I mean, they wouldn't even, uh, they would think it was no big deal that they took an antacid every day at 2 p.m., or that um, they their energy would crash at a particular time. They didn't realize that perhaps their diet was playing a role because they're not making those connections. The only thing that we learn to value in modern societies around food is its palatability. 
In fact, when you go out to eat with your friends for lunch, the conversation usually sounds kind of like this. Uh, what do you feel like eating? Ooh, Mexican sounds good. Oh, maybe some Italian food or Chinese food or whatever, right? We don't even think about, forget the, the, the negative consequences, but all of the other ways that foods affect us, our libido, our energy, our skin, our hair, our digestion, even the relationship we have with the foods. You know, there are foods that we like because of our positive associations. There's foods that we don't like because of negative associations. You ever get sick from eating something you really like and then you can never eat it again? Oh, yeah. Your, your brain made a strong association. So you can do that with yourself by simply becoming more aware of all of these things and also becoming aware of, like you said, Adam, like I'm, I'm, I'm caring for myself. And then the conversation uh, becomes a little different and you develop a relationship. It is a relationship that you develop with yourself uh, and how you care for yourself. And then it's a lot easier. It's a slower, longer process, uh, but it's the only way. So I'll go back to the data here. Over 90% of people who lose weight gain it back. Okay, so what I'm saying is the only way that you're going to succeed long term. If you do it every other way, you're going to fail, I promise you. So when people say, oh, you know, I, I like what he's saying, but um, I just want to get rid of this weight tomorrow and then I'll figure it out. You won't. It'll come right back it'll, and you'll be in a worse position than you were before. Um, so, again, this is really the only, the only way to do it. And it's a, it is a slower process because it does take time. It does take time to develop these skills, this awareness. You have to move to um, a place of unconscious competence when it comes to health. Uh, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't know if you guys ever talk about the stages of learning, but you go from unconscious incompetence, right? So I don't know what I don't know. Then I'm consciously incompetent. This is when you first step into something. You're like, oh, wow, look at all the stuff I don't know. Mm. Then, it, then you, you become consciously competent. And this... This this is a, this is a, a tough place to be because you have to think about what you're doing, you have to think about what you're eating, you have to think about being active. It's like I gotta, it's like watching a kid learn how to walk. They have to think about every step they're taking. But if you practice it long enough and you do it the right way, then it becomes unconscious. Just like now, when I walk now, I don't think about every step. Um, and you will get there. You could totally get there. Everybody can. It's just um, it's just a bit of a process. And unfortunately, this is the sad part. The default of modern society is poor health. If you live the way you're supposed to, and I would assume the default with relationships is probably poor relationships too, um, just because of the way society's, I don't know, media has organized itself and whatnot. It's like you have to work towards, it's not, healthy relationships I don't think are encouraged in the right way, or at least uh, if you consume content and media and, and you don't really pay attention or you don't learn from other people, then you might have to figure this out the hard way. The same thing with your health. Uh, if you just do what you're supposed to, you're going to have poor health. So it is it is tough. It is a bit of a learning process. But the but you will get there eventually. And then it becomes very relaxed. It's not a stress. So I want to go a little bit deeper because my background is actually in addiction specialty. Mm. So this all of this makes amazing sense, right? And I think that you can go and try and change behaviors as, as much as possible. And I agree with you 100%. But sometimes what I found and what I have found with working uh, with a lot of people for the past over, you know, over 10 years is that typically what happens is if you find the root of the problem, so as you are growing up as a child or in your teenage years or in your 20s, typically people will gravitate 
to certain addictions, certain coping mechanisms where they feel better. There's a reward system in place for that. So sometimes it can be relationships. Sometimes it can be alcohol. Sometimes it can be drugs. Sometimes it can be food. Sometimes it can be the controlling of food, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, what you have with anorexia, right? There's kind of a there's a, a huge mental component to this that I think a mental health component that I think that there's also right as far as like sending people to therapy and trying to do the inner work totally. because once you start to peel once you start to peel back the layers and the onions of what was happening what was your first experience that you had when food almost became a medicine for you what what was the first experience that you had? And a lot of times what you'll find is people will have fundamental experiences. They potentially could have experienced a loss. Um, a parent might have passed away. You know, they went through a really, really bad breakup or something kind of happened where that, that palatability of food became where they went to, to feel better. So how I try and coach people to, you know, with any type of an addiction, with any type, something that they are going to, it's how can we find other healthier coping mechanisms that you can go to that are going to give you a greater payoff. And then that's when you're going to start to see slow change. I think that's why a lot of the people gain the weight back and why the the biggest losers and why a lot of people on these shows, they never can keep it off because yeah, we can change the behavior all you want when somebody's watching you and somebody's monitoring you and someone's giving you, you know, certain things to, because then, you know, you don't want, you don't want to disappoint them. Someone's watching you. Yeah. But when you take that safety net away, when you take off the life vest, then and you haven't really truly dealt with the underlying potential mental health issue that the reason why you're getting that payoff, you're going, it's going to fail. So I don't know if you found that Adam with, with some of the people that you've worked with, um, you were a therapist for a long time. So how would you, how would you address that? Oh, absolutely. So one of the biggest things is what has worked for you before and what has made you feel good before is what you'll gravitate to when you feel the worst. So exactly. Identify where are you coming at that, that this is something you haven't done. I had to do this work myself as I've, as I've confronted my physical health and you know, where was it when you started feeling good? What else can make you feel good? One thing that I, I find is, is really instrumental with my coaching clients and everybody I, I work with is have experiences. So much of the time we intellectualize, well, that Broccoli won't taste good. I don't want to eat broccoli. Well, that working out at the gym every day for six months does not sound fun. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I, that sounds terrible. But when you go have the experiences, if it's in a relationship, you open up, you have experiences with somebody, it changes the way you, you perceive that thing. To the point that now I, I think of, oh, broccoli. I'm thinking now I want to eat, finish this podcast and go eat some broccoli. And, and somebody who has a great relationship experience I don't want to talk to other people about how I feel because that is scary and I could get hurt. They have that experience and it feels great. Ooh, maybe I do want to go talk to somebody about how I feel. That's number one, that's how you get hooked on therapy. But number two, that's how you can get yourself hooked on good things. So Sal, I'll pitch that to you. Yeah. Is this maybe a way of saying, look, you're going to be hooked on something. You're going to be hooked on good feelings. You're going to be hooked on positivity or negativity. If you're going to be hooked on something, be intentional about what you're going to be hooked on. Is, is that maybe a mindset that could work? 
It is, and boy, this is a complex one, okay? Because there's a um, there's a spectrum of, uh, I guess, dysfunction when it comes to when it comes to diet, okay? So first off, what plays a role is also what is acceptable around you, right? So currently, 20, 30 pounds, most people kind of fall in that category, so that's part of it. Although those, I think there's a, a level of dysfunction that we're all dealing with when it comes to diet because we've radically, and, and, and activity, because we've radically altered our environments uh, in a very short period of time to where it's hard for us to adapt. So we went from food was natural and scarce to food is processed and everywhere. And that's a hard uh, transition. We've also engineered food to be so desirable that some, okay, so when it comes to diet studies, some of them were really tough because a lot of them are based off of surveys. So it's like, you know, how many tomatoes did you eat last week or something like that? And those are horribly inaccurate. But they have studies that are really, really interesting on uh, hyper-processed food or ultra-processed food, where they've actually taken groups of people and they've put them in a lab, okay? So you're controlled. This group over here has access to ultra-processed food. These are foods that are in packages, wrappers. They have lots of ingredients, essentially engineered food. And this group over here has unlimited access to whole natural food, so like one-ingredient foods, like apples, bananas, meat, eggs, milk, that kind of stuff. And they'll leave them in those rooms, and they'll observe them, and then they'll switch rooms. So they actually take each group, put them in each room, and then switch them. And they've repeated this study, and they found that on average, if you eat ultra-processed foods, you'll consume about 600 more calories a day. That's massive. That's huge. Now, that's because these foods have been so well engineered that they literally hijack your bottom, your body's natural systems of satiety. So there's this myth that humans are eating machines, and if you just put food in front of us, we'll just overeat. That's not true. Overeating would have killed us a 1,000 years ago, just like it kills us today. In fact, you know, uh, diarrhea would have killed you. Indigestion would have killed you back then. So we have these natural systems of satiety, but what we did is we engineered food so well that by the time you get those signals, you're eating way more than you should. In fact, if the average person only ate whole natural foods, most people would get pretty close to their ideal body weight just from doing that without anything else. Okay, that's how, that's how impactful that is. So that plays a role. What you guys are saying about uh, reaching for food as a way to cope or numb or also, I mean... That's been around for a long time. Um, food means so much more to us than just sustenance. I mean, we have foods that we eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We have foods that we eat at weddings and birthday parties. You know, when you go to the movies, it's when you want popcorn. Um, you know, there are foods that you ate when you were a kid that you have associated. So it's very, very, very uh, complex. Now, if you go way over here on the dysfunction side where you're overeating to the point where you're 100 pounds overweight or 80 pounds overweight, your health is really going south, you know it, but you still can't stop yourself, that gets really challenging. And I always, towards the end of my career, would work with a therapist with my client. That was always the best success that I had. Um, and the, the main reason was because if you, for example, I worked with people who had gastric bypass at one point. I, my, one of the gyms I managed was across the street from a hospital and they had a gastric bypass, um, you know, part of the hospital and they would send us patients and I'd work with these people. It was pretty interesting how 
because when you get gastric bypass, they literally take your stomach, bypass it, and what you're left with is a pouch about this big, and you can't you you can't eat more than a certain amount. You just can't. You'll throw up. Your body won't won't hold it. So what you essentially did with those people is you forced you forced them to not have their favorite coping mechanism. So you had a high rate of developing other addictive behaviors, uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, um, pornography, gambling skyrocketed with these people because we took away their favorite coping mechanism. So they, and they didn't know how to cope, right? So they got to do something else. They got to figure something else out. So the therapist made a, a, a huge impact uh, in that sense. So it's a, it's a very complex issue, but I, I do want to tackle at least the things that'll make it much harder for you. If you could give us some, some snippets on that, that you wish people knew, we would love it. Yes. Heavily processed foods. Those will make you overeat. If you eat those and you eat a lot of those, you're going to be white knuckling this the whole time and good luck. The, the, the amount of research and development that goes into, uh, to ultra processed foods is remarkable. It's not just the salt, sugar, and fat combination, which we know to be the classic ingredients with palatability, but it's also the residue it leaves on your fingers, the sound it makes when you crunch into it, um, the aftertaste, the color, the bag. I mean, they have broken this down to such a science, it's insane, okay? So avoid those foods because you will lose eventually. Eventually, you're going to lose, or you're going to have to count every calorie because you can't trust your own body's systems of satiety because they've been hijacked. So that's number one. Number two, choose a form of exercise that's going to make it a lot easier for you. Now, one approach is to try to burn every calorie you can by moving as much as possible. That's not going to work very well because, number one, you don't burn a lot of calories through activity. And number two, your body adapts very quickly to energy expenditure by actually reducing your metabolic rate. This is a normal process that we've developed through, through I mean, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. In fact, in my book, I quote, uh, there's a in very interesting study. They, they went and studied a modern hunter-gatherer tribe known as the Hadza tribe. Um, and they're, um, they're found in northern Tanzania. And for all intents and purposes, um, they lived the way we lived thousands of years ago. So, uh, you know, they hunt, they gather, they don't have electronics. They move quite a bit more than the average uh, western couch potato. Well, scientists went down there, studied their metabolisms through some pretty sophisticated testing, and they found that they burned about the same amount of calories that the average couch potato burns. So you think, well, how is that even possible? Our bodies evolved to do that. If our bodies just burned six, 7,000 calories a day through movement because we were hunting and gathering, we wouldn't be here because it's very hard to come across those calories. So just trying to burn calories is a very... Um, it's a tough approach. Now, there's nothing wrong with movement. It's actually very good for you, obviously. But trying to burn the calories manually is a losing approach. A much more effective approach is to try to speed up your metabolism. And the most effective way to do that is to build muscle. If you do strength training, you will positively affect your metabolism so that you burn more calories. You will also tell your body to organize its hormones in a way to build muscle, which is a youthful hormone profile. So in men, you see higher testosterone. You see a uh, uh, higher density of androgen receptors. That's what testosterone attaches to. Uh, by the way, women, uh, testosterone plays a, a vital role in women, just like it does in men. It's just they have a lower amount. But low testosterone in women, same signs that you'll see in a man. So low libido, low motivation, low drive, 
more fat storage, less muscle. You also see a balancing of estrogen and progesterone in women. You see more youthful growth hormone levels. You see cortisol that's appropriate. So strength train, avoid heavily processed foods, and aim for, if I add, add one more thing, try to eat a diet that's high in protein. Now, why, why do I say that? Well, the protein will help fuel the muscle growth, which will help speed up the metabolism. It's also on a calorie per calorie basis. It has a higher thermic effect, meaning if you took two diets that were identical in calories, but one was high protein, the high protein diet would result in more fat loss and better muscle preservation than the lower protein one. But also, here's my favorite part, protein is very um, satiety inducing. So eating a high protein diet means you're going to have less cravings and you're going to feel more satisfied. Um, so that's the approach uh, in terms of you know the nuts and bolts. Now, the other stuff that we talked about is, again, it's going to be a process. How do I care for myself um, like somebody I care about? Uh, Self-love is not a feeling, by the way. This is action. You're not always going to feel the warm, fuzzy feeling. But uh, I think uh, if, we, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we know what that looks like. And start there. And then the last thing I'll add is this, because people say, where do I start? Take one step that is challenging uh, so that it has some meaning but also realistic in this context. Can I do this for the rest of my life? So a challenging step that I know or that I feel I could do for the rest of my life. If you do that, then you took the right step. And then you can ask yourself that question again once whatever that step you took becomes a part of your life and habit. And what you'll find over time is that the gap in between the steps starts to get shorter and the steps start to get bigger as the snowball effect starts to happen. Um, so that's the, that's the main strategy. Um, and, you know, you can, we can get into the details about what the workouts should look like and, and all that stuff. But what I just said is like uh, 85% of the answer. It really is. The other 15%, we could talk about what the workout looks like. And so long as you train appropriately, um, there are exercises that are more effective than others and so on and so forth. But the, the stuff I just mentioned is, is really the big, those are the big rocks. We'll stick to the relationship stuff. We'll send them to you for the, That's for the rest of the 15%. <laughs> Where can people find you, Sal, and Mind Pump? And what are some tools that you offer that can help people with their journey? Oh, thank you. So the, the podcast is just Mind Pump. You can find it on any podcast platform. We're also on YouTube. We also have a fitness channel on YouTube where we demonstrate exercises and teach technique. Um, and that's all free. We also sell fitness programs. So if you listen to the podcast, you'll get pretty much all the information you need on how to train yourself and um, on how to you know, work with your nutrition, your diet. But if you want it to be all put together in a package, something you can access that tells you how many sets and reps and what exercises and demos, we also sell fitness programs. Uh, they're called MAPS, uh, Muscular Adaptation Programming System. And we have, I think, 12 programs now. Some of them are more bodybuilding focused. Others are more athletic focused um, or rehab focused. But we have lots of different workout programs that um, and we, we continue to make them because we want to be able to offer something for everybody. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Well, that was an amazing conversation with Sal. What did you think? Isn't he wonderful? Since I met him a few months ago and following him before that, he's just 
the guy knows his stuff. You can tell he's not just been in this space for years, but he's a leader in this space. It's been fantastic. Yeah, what I learned was really, I mean, if you're going to have an amazing relationship, the best place to start is really within yourself to ask the questions of what do I want? What do I value? Why am I stepping into the gym? You know, that what he spoke to as far as from a place of self-hate versus a place of self-love was something that honestly I had never really heard before. And I, I have succumbed to that. I have gone to the gym not wanting to because of, you know, I look in the mirror and then all of a sudden it's that motivation. But I think I'm going to think twice before, before I do that and before I put a piece of pizza in my mouth again. I Absolutely. think that's good. And we're so big here on vetting people. And one reason I, I can really speak to this is his book, The Resistance Training Revolution, it was it was game changing when I read that book. Like it it really was. And I've tried his maps programs. I've been getting into that, and they make it so easy to understand and so easy to follow. I really have been blown away by their whole program. So I can't wait to have Sal back. Maybe have the other guys on. But Mind Pump, they're good people. So if you love Mind Pump and Sal as much as we do, please check the description and check the notes. There's going to be all kinds of links in there for the products. Give them some love and help yourself out in the process. We look forward to seeing you on our next episode of I Wish You Knew. Check out our socials and we'll see you next time.